0: Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This morning we are continuing our brand new series through the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, taught by me and some other leaders in our fellowship. I'm really excited for that. And in part 2, Today, we're going to be studying Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. But let's actually start reading in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read all the way through to verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how? As I said last week, the the Sermon on the Mount, which we're studying this summer, is sort of Jesus' declaration of his kingdom, his manifesto, if you will, what his kingdom is all about, how his kingdom and his people are to operate. And nowhere in any of it do we see that there's some political sort of overtone. There's no political agenda to what King Jesus is speaking into in this very first sermon that Matthew is recording for us of Jesus. Instead, Jesus teaches us the kind of character we should have, the kind of people we're to be as citizens of his kingdom, which is clearly a spiritual kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. As we saw in part one last week in verses 1 through 12, the first thing he focused on As he began presenting his kingdom to his disciples, to us, is what the people of his kingdom should be like. We saw this in the Beatitudes, the the kingdom characteristics, the kingdom attitudes that Jesus listed for us. We found in verses 3 through 12 last week that we truly are blessed. That those who have put their faith in Jesus and have received his salvation, becoming part of his kingdom have received and shall receive incredible things, incredible promises from our Lord. We also found that life in his kingdom is not the guarantee of an easy life, but it is the only life where true spiritual and eternal blessing is found. And I want to remind us again, as I did last week, that this sermon does not deal with issues of salvation, but deals with us and how we're to live And what Jesus is desiring of us as his disciples who have already received his salvation and are citizens of his kingdom. But for some further context, since we just read some of our verses today, verses 13 through 16. Jesus says that his disciples, those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, living among the kingdoms of this world, are salt and light. He's not telling us things here that we are to become, to strive for, that eventually we will be salt and light in this world, in the country that we find ourselves in, the community that we're a part of. No, Jesus is saying, this is who he's made us to be in him and for him, wherever he's placed us, that we are salt and that we are light. And Jesus is now going to speak into the kind of influence he's given us. The kind of influence that he wants us to keep so that the unsaved people of this world are brought into his kingdom through our lives and witness. See, those with kingdom characteristics, the Beatitudes we looked at last week, have been given kingdom influence by him. Because we could look at the things listed last week and just feel like, wow, this person is, how is this person going to be received by enemy, by by anyone? Poor in spirit, meek, mourning, hungry and thirsty, trying to be a peacemaker, persecuted, and then... Again, spoken of the persecution. Like, how is this person, like, what are, what kind, like, what are we really going to accomplish for you, Jesus? Well, Jesus is going to let us know that having those characteristics don't sort of diminish the influence. They actually are a part of why we have the influence that we're going to have because of him. And so with that in mind, look at verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? And I just want to say right at the get-go here that I think we're living in a time where some believers in Jesus Christ could look at this and immediately feel validated in a certain pattern of behavior. Jesus says, I'm salt. And I really, I really connect with that because I'm like the guy who takes the top of the salt shaker off at the restaurant when his friend is in the bathroom, comes back and pours and it, just covers and ruins everything. Or I'm kind of the guy that's like, oh, you've got a wound, let's pour some salt in it. Or there's some other believers who are like, yes, light. Yes. I'm like that kid that's been given the high-powered flashlight that just proceeds to shine it directly in your eyes. At nighttime, you already had a hard time seeing. Now you're really blinded. I'm kind of like the bathroom light at nighttime. You get up in the middle of the night, you got to go. And you walk in; it's pitch dark in your room, and you flip on the light, and you're like, "Now I gotta adjust to get to the toilet." I'm that light. Like, I think some people take this, and it's like you're the nuisance. Some people in our world who are claim to be disciples of Jesus is like, they 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 connect with these on a level that Jesus is not presenting them as. Jesus is saying, you are your salt, so just ruin other people's day. Be salty. Be a turd to people. Like, that's not what he's saying. So let's just get that out of our minds, because I I think all of us in this room, especially if you have any connection to social media, the things that I'm saying, you know, are to be true about people. You see it. And if it's you, cut it out. In order to understand some of the significance of why Jesus said we are the salt of the earth, we need to know what salt does and what it's used for. Salt preserves. Salt adds flavor. Salt protects against Putrefication In that day, that did not have refrigerators or freezers. If you wanted to keep your meat from spoiling, you put salt on it, kept the decay away, or at least slowed it down. And salt creates thirst. Salt was an extremely important and valuable physical thing to the people of Jesus's day, but more importantly, there are spiritual implications and applications here for us in being salt in this earth for Jesus. We are to be the preserving influence, protecting against the putrefaction of sin and unrighteousness. You know, we can look at what's going on in different parts of our country and our world today, and just kind of blame it on the wickedness of man. But you and I play a role in what we're seeing take place. What happens when you remove salt from an area that's already headed for decay? Well, it's just going to head there even faster, isn't it? There's such an escapist mentality in our day. Let's get out. It's just, it's bad. It's wicked. Look at those. And we want to escape. We want to get to some safer place that we feel is safer. It's really not. You're just escaping to place where other sinners are. Eventually, the decay of the world's going to affect there too. But if we want to see that decaying sort of thing slowed down, if we want to see it arrested, if we want to see change place, you and I as salt have to be applied to the things that are decaying, right? Preserving influence, but. We're also to be just the right amount of flavor. You ever gone to a restaurant and you're like, man, these people don't use any salt. And then you're like, why did I pay all this money and I'm having to put salt on my food? Now some, you know, in our day salt has a bad rap. It's connected to all kinds of things, hypertension and all kinds of stuff. I remember my grandpa is, was a diabetic, and you know my grandma would always be like a n- Nazi about his, his salt intake, and for good reason. But it it adds flavor. It adds just the right amount of flavor. Do we bring that flavor to our relationships? Is it just the right amount? It's just the right thing at the right time. That that kind of like people, there's a sweetener almost to what we bring where people can sense like when we're a part of something, when we've been invited, they know that with us is gonna come something added in a positive way to their lives, to a situation, to a workplace. We're to add flavor. Not overkill. Again, not the screwing off of the top of the salt shakers and, you know, pouring the whole thing on. Just the right amount. You can always add more, but you can't add less, right? We're to be creating a thirst in others for Jesus as we spend time with them and around them, you know, in farm sort of settings to get the animals to to drink oftentimes they'll put out big salt blocks now we don't go around licking salt so that we can get thirsty that's kind of an odd like what if you brought what if you just like put a big salt block right here come on guys just oh the germs (laughs) everyone licking the same salt block anyways but when we're around people, is it creating a thirst in them for Jesus? That's what, that's what we are to be doing. That, and not even us striving for, just us living out our faith, living out our lives by the power of the Spirit, that there's just going to be naturally, supernaturally something that God does where, where when we're with people and around people, they're going, I want. What you have. I'm thirsty because they're already thirsty. That's the thing. There's a deep spiritual thirst in the heart of every single human being. But what if us being around helped expose what that thirst really was and who it's satisfied by? Right? We know who it is. Jesus in John 4. If you're thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I'll give you living water. You and I have. We've drank of that water. We know what it's like to be satisfied by Jesus. But the, the people around us who don't know him haven't. They don't know that. That's not the reality of their lives. We create thirst. And we're to be valuable to those around us. Salt in that day was not like, oh, you go to everyone's house, you go to a place of, you know, you go to the market and there's a salt shaker everywhere. It was valuable. You had to dig for it. You had to find the mineral somewhere. It, It was so valuable. Even later on in the 12th century, in parts of Africa, salt was so scarce that the value of salt was placed on equal value with gold. If you wanted a, a, a pound of salt, you had to give a pound of gold to get it. And, and I think in one way, it's like Jesus letting us know, I've made you someone with so much value in the eyes of God. We've been given incredible value in the eyes of our God. But are we valuable to the people around us as well? Is there a value to our lives where people are like, man, it's just, I'm benefited by having them in my workplace. I'm benefited by having them in my community. Value. Why? Because we are the salt of the earth. There's a warning here to not lose our saltiness, our flavor. That if we do, that salt-like influence can be hard to regain and in some cases can never be regained. Instead, it'll be good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. See, when a disciple of Jesus ruins their witness, they ruin the effectiveness of their influence for Jesus in the lives of others. And ultimately, their influence is just stepped on. Just stepped on. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't bring anything, so it doesn't mean anything. But though there's a clear warning, a clear danger, we also need to see that there's encouragement. Again, salt is valuable. It's good. It's useful. It's effective when it's salty. It's encouraging to know that Jesus wants to use our lives as the salt of the earth, to be that preserving influence, to Add just the right amount of flavor as we share and interact with others to help protect against the putrefying effects of sin and to create a thirst in others for Jesus so that they come to Him for His living water. We're the salt of the earth, but Jesus also went on to say that we are the light of the world. Look at verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp. Put it under a basket, put on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to himself two separate times as the light of the world. First, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said there, "'I am the light of the world.'" He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then in John chapter 9, verse 5 said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And a piggybacking on that, Paul later on in his letter to the church of Ephesus, the believers there, he wrote to them in Ephesians 5 8 For you were once darkness. It's who we were. He said, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We not only were walking in darkness, as Jesus said in John chapter 8, we were darkness, as Paul went on to say in Ephesians 5. But for those who have followed Jesus, those who have repented of their sin, put their faith in him, received his salvation we no longer walk in darkness we have the light of life we are light in the lord we are able to walk as children of light see to know that we were once darkness and to be told by jesus that we are the light of the world means that a transformation has taken place We are not who we once were before Christ saved us. And that should encourage and comfort our hearts today. Do you remember what it was like to be in the darkness? Not fun. It's not fun. You grope. You're groping for something, some sort of meaning, some sort of fulfillment. And then Jesus steps in. And he didn't remove himself from the darkness. He came into the darkness as the light of the world. To those who sat in the darkness, a light had shined. Jesus in our mess. Jesus in our darkness. Jesus seeing all of our sin. And then doing what was necessary to to pull us out, to make us light, children of light, having the light of life. While Jesus was in the world, he was the light of the world, but you and I have the spirit of Christ. This is another name in scripture for the Holy Spirit, which means we have the light of Christ within us. And his light is shining through us into this dark world. Light is visible and recognizable. Just like a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, it is visible and recognizable. But when that principle is further applied to our lives as kingdom citizens, we also see that the influence God has given us is meant to be public to be visible, to be recognizable, just like a city set on a hill. But light also illuminates. It reveals what couldn't be seen previously when it was just dark. When that principle is applied to us, we see that the influence of our lives as kingdom citizens is not just meant to be public, like a city set on a hill, but also private, like the light of a lamp that shines inside a house to all who are in it it would have been ridiculous to jesus and any other person in his day to light a lamp just to cover it with a basket where the light the light and the lamp of the the, the light of the lamp would be completely useless the reason you would light a lamp was because you needed the light to help those entering into the house or going about their, their business in the house to be able to see. Light is a revealer in dark or shadowy environments. Darkness conceals and hides. Light reveals and exposes, and there's encouragement here for us. You know, we may not feel like our kingdom influence is on the scale of a city that's on a hill. Maybe we feel like our kingdom influence is more on the scale of the light of a lamp that's been placed on a lampstand in a home, but both are just as needed. And whether it's in private or or out in public, our faith in Jesus Christ and the Life and light of Jesus Christ in us is never meant to be hidden, but instead is meant to be displayed, to be lived out in such a way as we see in verse 16, where others see Jesus in us and are drawn to Jesus through the influence and witness of our lives. Guys, the the focus of the shining of our light is not so people see us. Not so people exalt us, not so that we get some sort of glory, some sort of praise from it. But that is we shine the light of Jesus, a shining that is manifested, demonstrated in a life of good works. That others would see our good works and be pointed to Jesus, drawn to a saving knowledge of Jesus where they would be the ones glorifying, praising our Father in heaven. Do we know this? Our Father in Heaven cares about our good works? You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we look at sort of the works-based religions and cults of our world, and we just kind of like, well, it's not that. That's not right. I'm not trying to earn God's favor through my works. And then I think in that kind of pendulum swing of like seeing the wrong aspect of that, we can... Swing to the other side and go, well, that's not, that's just, I, I don't think that that's really what we're even supposed to be doing at all. But throughout the New Testament, we see this encouragement, a, a command even, to be people of good works. Paul, I believe it's in Titus saying, be diligent to maintain good works. Why? Why? Why, why the emphasis on that? Because through those works that God does in and through our lives by the work of his spirit and by his grace, because that should be what's influencing and, and empowering and driving our good works, that others will be able to more clearly see that our Father in heaven is the source of it all. He's the reason for it. That our good works would actually help others to see the goodness of our God, our Father in heaven. How are people gonna know how good our God is if good works are not present in our lives to show people, wow, their God really is good? You ever thought about like the, the amount of hospitals that have been built throughout the world, the medical endeavors throughout the world, that the majority, the majority of those things that have happened have have been spearheaded by disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they were motivated by the Spirit of God to do a good work for God so that the people that they were bringing physical help to would see beyond the physical to the goodness of the God of the people that were doing the works so that they would glorify God in their own lives. They go, why would this people come to my village? Why would they be doing? the? Why would they be giving of their time? Why would they be sacrificing their lives? To know that those things give us a greater platform. It's our lampstand, guys. It's a lampstand that we get to be set upon to shine forth to Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus, not me. Not in like a weird, you know, false humility sort of way. I know, but it's really not me, it's the Lord. I'm just his humble servant sacrificing everything about my life but it's all him <laughs> not not in that not in a weird cuz then you're still it's still of the emphasis on me and you but really to him shining forth to him this world needs to see it light needs to be shown if our lights being put under a bushel we got to let it shine the kids song right so hide it under the bushel pastor i listened to that was teaching through this he actually started like singing the thing and i'm not going to do that but that's because i'm really humble no not at all <laughs> Again, these things that Jesus is speaking into is, is him. He's speaking into the kind of influence he's given us that he wants us to keep. Right? He wants us to keep it. That's why he says, don't lose it. Don't lose your flavor. So that the unsaved people of this world are brought into his kingdom through our lives and witness. But, but Jesus is going to transition here in verses 17 through twenty which is going to set up what he's going to continue speaking on in the following verses. He says in verse 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, as one day they will, one jot or one tittle, these were the smallest letter and the smallest mark on a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. He says, not one jot or tittle will by, will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. So Jesus here is upholding the authority of scripture. He says, whoever, therefore, verse 19, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Still a part of the kingdom of heaven, but but in a lower state within the kingdom. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, throughout Jesus's ministry, and we see this throughout the gospel accounts, he was accused of breaking Mosaic law. And always, it seemed, in relation to the Sabbath day by the religious leaders. But, but never once did Jesus break any of God's commandments. If he did, he would have been guilty of sin, and, and Jesus never sinned. He never broke any of God's commands, but what he often broke was the traditions of man that had been built up and placed as equal to God's word. Because that's what had happened in Jesus' day by the Pharisees. They're like, you know, yeah, there's this really, I mean, we're given a very simple definition of what it means to observe the Sabbath in the Old Testament. But they went on to define it, to interpret it, And their interpretation, their definition, became equal in authority in how they presented it to God's word. So when Jesus was going around and healing somebody on the Sabbath, they're like, you worked. You did some sort of physical labor, Jesus. You sinned. You broke the Sabbath. And then Jesus would flip it. So if your animal fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, you're not going to take your animal out? Is the right thing on the Sabbath to, to destroy life or to save it? Jesus is like, I'm not going by your rules. I'm living by the commands of God. And no doubt, Jesus' disciples here, this multitude would have wondered is this guy about to like just say, forget it? Forget the law. Let's do something new. I got something new to bring about. Isn't that like every politician's campaign? I'm going to do it differently than the person behind me. I know they have this healthcare system, but we're doing something new. I know they said this, but I've got something else in mind. Let me tell you what my administration's going to be like that. Isn't? That's what happens. You know, the campaigns and things that's all it's like tell me what you you know, basically blast the other person for what they did and elevate what you now say you're going to do maybe you'll actually do it. We know that's not how our system works. You don't just get to do it. Like it's got to pass through the the House of Representatives, then it goes to the Senate and you know, it's like it doesn't Jesus isn't coming on the scene going like, nope, let's forget the law. Got something new for you. He says, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus is making sure his disciples understood he didn't come to fulfill man made traditions to live according to what sinful men added to the commands of God or or man's hypocritical interpretations and requirements of how to live out God's commands. No, Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures, and he did. I like what David Guczyk wrote about this. He said, Jesus fulfilled the doctrinal teachings of the law and the prophets in that he brought full revelation. Jesus fulfilled the predictive prophecy of the law and the prophets in that he is the promised one, showing the reality behind the shadows. Jesus fulfilled the moral and legal demands of the law and the prophets in that he fully obeyed them and he reinterpreted them in their truth. Jesus fulfilled the penalty of the law and the prophets for us, by his death on the cross, taking the penalty we deserved. Jesus lived so radically in sinless perfection as he carried out what God spoke in his law and through his prophets that the religious people of his day opposed him. Isn't it interesting that the very next thing that Jesus is going to speak into is murder? The thing that the religious people of his day did to him. They opposed. They opposed the God who they claimed to worship and live for and represent. But we could say that what Jesus did want to destroy was religion. The false, and and I'll define that, The false and futile mentality in people of thinking that through their own efforts, they can reach God and become righteous in the eyes of God. He did want to destroy that. To destroy that and provide a new way and that way was centered upon and sourced in himself, not mankind reaching up to God but God reaching down to mankind to do what was necessary so that we can have a real living relationship, not religion, relationship with him, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished, what he fulfilled for us and provided to us. Jesus wasn't the lawbreaker, even though the religious leaders saw him as that. You know who he is? We are. All of humanity is we can never live up to the perfect standard of God's law, and God knew that we couldn't. The law helps reveal our sinfulness and need for a savior. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to live the perfect life we could never live, to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law for us, in our standing, our position before the Father is not determined by how well we measure up to the law. No, our standing, our position before the Father is determined by what Jesus has accomplished for us and what he's given to us, his righteousness being placed in our account for those who have received Jesus' free gift of salvation by grace through faith. And to that we say, praise the Lord. In order to be granted entrance into the kingdom of heaven, King Jesus said that people needed a righteousness that exceeded, surpassed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. I can imagine at this point in his message is the jaws of all the people just dropping. Because as those people would have looked to the religious leaders, they would have thought, no one is more righteous than them. And if they aren't getting in, what hope is there for me? <laughs> this would have been seen as an impossible thing in the eyes of Jewish people in Jesus' day, including the disciples he was he was giving this sermon to. Uh, again, the, the scribes and Pharisees were considered sort of the epitome of being righteous because of all their outward observances of Mosaic law, their their own traditions they added in on top of the law because of all their outward showing of religiosity that happened so that people would see them and think highly of them, like announcing when they're about to give. Look at how righteous I am. Let's blow the trumpet. Here he comes. Here she comes. So righteous. Looking to be fasting like a you know, letting the face get all dirty and trying to make yourself look gaunt. How can I put some ash on my face to where my cheeks look sucked in? Really been fasting a long time because I just love the Lord that much. You know, like, this is what was going on. This is what the people looked at and thought. They, they are the people closest to God. God. Sorry, guys, I'm just all over the place. (laughs) But from what Jesus says in verse 20, it's clear the scribes and Pharisees, with all their external show of righteousness, were not the ones entering the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. They're not getting in. Not that they couldn't get in. Not that he didn't want them to get in. But in their current state of of self righteousness, of pride, he's like, they're not making it. It's not enough. See, it's going to become clear as we make our way through Jesus' sermon in chapters 5 through 7 that without him, apart from him, a person can be doing all the right sorts of things externally. Being a good person doing charitable deeds, even praying and fasting, as we'll see Jesus speak into, but still be on the wrong road leading to destruction, being the wrong kind of tree producing bad fruit, building their lives the wrong way on the sand. And the only thing that person will get is the praise of people, physical rewards, the semblance of, of a life that is solid, but none of it will last, none of it will gain them God's approval, and none of it will grant them entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Which points us back to the very first beatitude that Jesus gave, that we studied last week. If the scribes and Pharisees were not the ones entering the kingdom of heaven, well, who does the kingdom of heaven belong to? Not the self-righteous. Not the religious trying to work their way into the kingdom and into God's good graces. No, it's the poor in spirit that the kingdom of heaven belongs to. Those that recognize their spiritual poverty, who know that their righteousness won't cut it in the eyes of God, who see that they are completely in need of Jesus and who, and who humble themselves before Jesus. Those who come to Jesus on that basis by faith are the ones who have been given his kingdom. The, the poor in spirit may be despised in the eyes of the world, but they, that's, that's we who are the poor in spirit, are valued immensely by our God loved so greatly by our God that he came here to this world in the form of a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we could never live and ultimately die for us in our place, taking our sin and guilt and punishment, paying our debt in full, so that we could be saved and set free. We could be made alive in Jesus Christ. We can be brought out of the darkness and into his marvelous light to be made a child of God, all because of our amazing King and Savior Jesus. We're going to dig into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in part three of our study next week, but I want to share some final things here. And I say final kind of like in how Paul would say finally in Philippians and continued to write another chapter or two. Finally, as we begin to close our study, <laughs> first, to my fellow kingdom citizens who have been redeemed by the blood of our King, I say to you stay salty in the right ways, in the godly ways, in the Jesus honoring and reflecting ways. Stay salty. And shine the light of Jesus. Why do we need to shine? Because the world is dark. Darkness is the absence of light. If we're seeing darkness going on, just like the salt needs to be applied to be of any good, the light needs to shine to be of any good. It needs to shine. Live out your faith will you be persecuted yep yep you will because jesus said we will will we be hated for his namesake yes for sure not because we're living like dummies but because we're living out the kingdom qualities because jesus is being seen in us but you know what we get to do we get to rejoice and be exceedingly glad Shine and we're not shining alone. None of us are shining alone. We're shining together. We're shining together and we need each other. We need each other to encourage us in these things of the Lord to be about our king, to be about his kingdom, to be about his commission and his gospel. That's that's what it's all about. It's not about staying in the salt shaker. Well, I'm just going to, I'm okay over here. The salt's all good in here. Look at how the salt's being protected in the shaker. No, get out of the shaker. We're of no good in the shaker. We got to get out of it. The light's no good under the basket. It's not any good under the bushel. Let the Lord put you on the lampstand so that you can shine in private, in public. Like a city set on a hill, like a lamp on a lampstand in a home. But but to those who have yet to put their faith in King Jesus, who currently are in darkness, who currently are darkness, who are not able to enter and be a part of the kingdom of heaven because you've not se- yet surrendered your life to the lordship of jesus received his salvation and righteousness know that jesus wants to change all of that today he's calling you if that's you to humble yourself to repent of your sin to place your faith your trust in him and what he accomplished for you through his death burial and resurrection i'm gonna have the worship team come back up really now in closing for sure not beginning to close an actual close you know, maybe we've been given the kingdom of heaven. But we know that we haven't been the kind of kingdom influence Jesus has made us to be. Maybe we're going, you know what? I have been stuck in the shaker. I've been under the bushel. I've been under the basket. Maybe today he's going to look like given you influence, just like, live for me. Just live for me. Maybe you've lost some of your flavor, some of your influence for Jesus with certain people in your life. You know, natural salt and that day couldn't be flavored again. It couldn't regain that element once it was lost. But Jesus can do something with us. We can lose our influence, but, but by the grace of Jesus, we can regain things that we've lost. We can have a new start. But we've got to come to him. We've got to ask him to do those fresh works in our lives, to renew things in our lives, to forgive us in areas where we've blown it to restore influence in the lives of people where maybe we've we've ruined our witness in the past. Maybe for some, even today, you've hidden your light out of fear. You've been selective in when you'll shine or who you'll shine to. I believe the Lord wants to do a new work in you today, in me today. He's not looking at any of us who have put our faith in Jesus and said, well, you used to be salt. used to be light. You're still that. And I believe he wants to do like an even greater work of that in you and me today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you that what you say about us is more true than what we feel about us or what anybody else could say about us that Jesus, you said that we are salt of the earth. We are light of the world. And Jesus, that's a work that you've done in us. Because Lord, prior to that, we weren't salt. We were just part of the decaying mass of this world. Separated from you by our sin. We weren't light. We were darkness. Darkness. We were under the bondage of the enemy, slave to our sin. But Jesus, these things remind us today, Lord, you have transformed us. Lord, you've set us free. You've done something new and you made us a new creation in Christ Jesus. All the old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new for us. And so, Lord, help us to walk in that newness. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of salt that, God, you intend for us to be. To be the kind of light, Lord, that you've intended us to be, Lord, in private and public. God, we need your help. We need your grace. We need the power of your spirit. Lord, maybe for some of us, we need you, Lord, to restore. Lord, what we've ruined. Been ruined maybe by our bad conduct, our bad behavior. We've not represented you well, Lord. Would you renew, Lord? Would you bring about something new, Lord? Restore our influence in the lives of those, God, that maybe our our influence has been trampled by them. And God, would others thirst for you because of our lives? Lord, would the decaying sort of state of things, Lord, would it be slowed? Would it even be counteracted? Because, Lord, we're there. We're there, Lord, bringing Jesus with us, bringing Jesus to people. Lord God, would we, would we be the right kind of flavor? And Lord, through our good works, Lord, would people see you and watch you and give their lives to you and glorify you. God, thank you. You saw, in a, saw us in our unrighteousness. You saw us in what we thought was righteousness, which the Bible tells us is just filthy rags in your sight. And you did something about it by, by coming, living out the law, and then providing your righteousness for us. Lord, we are so grateful. Lord, we're so thankful. And Lord, we just want to walk in that newness of life today. Lord, we want to walk by faith. Jesus, we want you to do just something radical in us and through us, in and through our homes, Lord, in our families, with friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, God, Lord, not because we're great, but because you are. And Lord, if there's anybody here or maybe that's joined us online this morning, God, they've not come to a saving knowledge of you, Lord. Would they see even now, Lord, would there just be that inward conviction and convincing by your spirit? The Lord, the things shared this morning are truth, Lord. What your word says is true. So Lord, now, even now, Lord, they're separated from you by their sin. They're in darkness. They are darkness. But, Lord, you want to change that. Lord, you want to bring them out into your marvelous light. Lord, you want to set them free the, from the power of Satan and sin to make them free indeed. Give them new life to seal them with your spirit that the kingdom of heaven, which they're now not part of, they would become a part of i just encourage anybody if you're in here in this room if you're online that you would just raise your hand if that's you and you're going look like that's me and i want i want that to change i want jesus to transform my life i want him to forgive me of my sin can't have that apart from jesus If that is anybody today that you would just say in your own heart, just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. You'd humble yourself. Say, I'm a sinner, Jesus. I I need your salvation. Jesus, I need you to save me. I want you to save me. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you cleanse me of all my unrighteousness? And would you give me your righteousness? Put your righteousness in my account, Jesus. That I would be accepted in the eyes of the Father. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I repent of my sin. I believe you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. And Jesus, I surrender my life to you now. I just pray, Lord, as anyone does that, that you would pour out your spirit upon them. You would seal them with your spirit. You would do, Lord, a fresh and radical work in them and through them. And, Lord, as we just respond now to your word and songs of praise, Lord, as we've been told we're to let our lights shine so that others glorify you, Lord, would we just start by us glorifying you, us praising you, us praising you, exalting you and worshiping you, Lord, knowing what you've done, knowing the kind of God that we have, that he is our father in heaven. You're not the cosmic taskmaster, slave master. You are father. You're father and we're your kids. Lord, we just worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.